Greetings, everyone, and welcome to Lavish Hope Season 3. It's Women's History Month, and for this episode, I'm excited to do things a little differently and be in conversation with my colleague and friend, Grace Reuter, co-founder and overseer of FaithWord, a digital discipleship space that currently reaches 50 to 100,000 people each month and is the home of this podcast. Grace is a dynamic next-gen leader, longtime member of our Women's Transformation and Leadership Guiding Coalition, and quite honestly, a key catalyzer in our ministry to encourage, equip, and empower women in their God-given gifts and callings, and to help create and strengthen healthy environments where men and women can lead together freely and fully. Grace is also passionate about helping folks wrestle with their faith, their doubts, their fears, so they can overcome them and find meaning and purpose. In this episode, we go back and forth interviewing each other as we share pieces of our own journeys of hope, resilience, and overcoming, especially as they relate to being part of a collaborative, Holy Spirit-led ministry movement that, despite the challenges, continues to grow and flourish and help us live into a multicultural, multiracial future freed from racism and where men and women can be in right relationship. Along the way, you'll get an in-depth peek behind the scenes of the She Is Called Ella Es Llamada movement to celebrate and embrace the gifts and callings of women in the church and beyond. Let's jump in. Well, here we are, Lavish Hope, Season 3, Episode 3. I'm so excited to be here with my colleague and friend, Grace Reuter, who is the co-founder and team leader of FaithWord, a digital discipleship space, and also the sponsor of this podcast. So welcome, Grace. So glad you're with me today. Thank you so much for having me, Liz. This is so fun to be able to do this with you. Yes, indeed. So we're coming into Women's History Month, and we thought that this would be an, a, an excellent time for us to have a little bit more of a conversation than I usually do in the interviews here on the Lavish Hope podcast, just to be able to share the story of the ministry that we've been engaged in these last eight years called Women's Transformation and Leadership. This is not our grandmother's women's ministry. This is a whole new kind of um, of ministry, which really is walking in the footsteps of the women who have come before. We always honor mm-hmm. the legacy of leadership um, in the Reformed Church in America and throughout the church. But this is really about seeing what what the Spirit is doing um, in the present and future for women in ministry, for women in leadership, women living into their gifts and callings. So Grace thought it would be great for us to get started by you talking about your experience uh, coming into women's transformation and leadership and just share a little bit about you and your story. Yes. Um, So I came into this, I, first of all, I came to the Reformed Church in America pretty much fresh out of college as a writer and editor. And so it was maybe within a year of when I had joined staff that, um, I was invited to kind of become what we call a communication coach for women's transformation and leadership. It's, Mm -hmm. I don't know if I would say it's a traditional, what you think of as like a coaching relationship. It's more of a partnership and a a way of connecting Mm -hmm. well together to work on how we communicate what a ministry is doing. Um, And so I was thrilled to do that. I, you know, already 
was passionate about women being able to be everything that they're called to be. And I am a woman, so I have pretty <laughs> strong interest in seeing that happen. Right. Yep. Um, but yeah, I don't, we didn't really know each other well at all at the time. So I, I think I'd maybe met you Liz once at that point. Um, and you just welcomed me right in. I remember I was surprised. I, I kind of thought it would be a standard sort of, it can be almost transactional, right? Where mm-hmm. um, you say, well, what what do you need from us? How can we support you better? And then it's kind of a client relationship. But I, I, I was really pleasantly surprised to be so welcomed in that you kind of said, I want you to be part of our coalition. We call them like guiding coalitions that we're forming to really be at the heart of this ministry. And, um, we're going to be having this gathering to really get started and, 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 and discern together how we're going to catalyze this movement and what we really need to be doing. Um, so I ended up, I'd never, I'd never been to New York or New Jersey. I ended up boarding this flight to New Jersey, um, going to New Brunswick and even not only that, but I, I was, uh, you asked that me and uh, another one of our colleagues, Anna, actually lead a part of it. So that was a mm-hmm. new experience for me as well. I hadn't really been in that in that kind of position very much yet. Um, and I think it's also worth giving you some context here, just like who I personally was and where I was at with my faith journey at that time. Sure. Um, so coming into this position with the RCA, the previous couple of years had been hard for me spiritually. I, you know, growing up, I, I came from a very strong Christian family um, where faith was very important. And I had a positive church experience. Like I know a lot of people really, unfortunately, in, in childhood and in, as they got into their teen years, had a lot of church hurt. I'm not one of those people. Like my church was always very loving. And I honestly think that probably saved my faith in a lot of ways. Sure. I had a lot of really good examples, but um I've also always been a curious person who loves to learn and question and think about things in new ways. And, and that meant that when I got to high school and I learned about evolution for the first time and found out there was quite a bit to support that theory, it, it, it gave me a lot of new questions that I hadn't considered before. You know, you kind of think about it with, before you know much, oh, it's just this fringe theory of this guy named Darwin came up with after spending a little too much time alone on a tropical Island. And, mm-hmm. um, I hadn't really had to consider what, if that being real meant until that point. And when I did, it kind of led me down this path of figuring out where that fit into my faith, where suddenly you have this, you know, evolutionary idea of a creation story. That's just a lot slower and more messy and complicated and still beautiful. God can still be an artist and a scientist, but it's a lot different than just the simple, more metaphorical version you see if you look at it at face value. And anyway, I was able to figure out how those things fit into my faith. But by that time, one question leads to another and you can kind of end up in this cycle. And and I spent a couple of years basically theologically rebuilding my faith from the ground up because once you start to think what if there is no God? It's kind of hard to forget it if you're afraid it might be true. Right. I didn't want it to be true, you know, but you, you end up in that place and. 
yeah, you don't even want to admit that you're thinking it. Some if it when you come from the background I do, where it, I think the thing that I knew would be most, for example, important to my parents about who I became as I grew up would be that I had a strong faith. Sure. Um, and so it felt like I would be disappointing them to even admit that I was struggling so much with that because I knew how important it was to them. And it's not, you know, I talk to a lot of people now who have been through this too. And you hear the same thing again and again. It's not that people don't want to believe. It's just that they don't know if they can. Um, and that is a painful place to be. But I did kind of get through that from a theological perspective because I wanted, and I had had these experiences of, of profound love and peace from God and belonging that I, I could not dismiss. It felt too real to me for me to say that it was just my own imagination um, and, and I was desperate to have those experiences again. And I, and I thought, okay, the only way that I'm going to get there is if I figure this out. So theologically I did, but by the time I figured it out theologically, I didn't really know anymore how to talk to God unless it was in an argument. And I was kind of scared to experience the thing that actually kind of had propelled me all along to figure out how to get past the doubt theologically, because I thought if I gave into that, maybe too much. I, I I was almost worried that it would reawaken the problems that I'd had on a weird level. And I, I was just very disconnected from that when I came into the RCA. So like I, interesting. Yeah. Well, so Grace, you're just, you're really making like, my mind is just all a buzz. And you know, this mm-hmm. podcast is called Lavish Hope, Stories of yeah. Resilience and Overcoming. And I just want to make sure that our listeners just are connecting the dots with like, mm-hmm you were in a situation where one could say you were losing hope, right? You were losing mm-hmm. that hope in, in religion, organized religion, and you were questioning your faith. And then something happened there. There was something that happened with this kind of resilience, this concept of it's kind of a different sh- sort of form of resilience that made you kind of overcome those mm-hmm. challenges. And so I just, I'm really intrigued with how Without naming those three words, you've really been articulating yeah. a story that includes all of them, that whole process, right? Yeah, I guess that comes from a lot of places. But yeah, you hear, again, I think remembering what it was like to have those experiences was important mm-hmm. for me. Mm-hmm. I'd had, you know, an eighth grade Bible teacher had done a lesson that just stuck with me that's faith plus doubt still equals faith. And there was just, for me, I, I guess I had this idea, like I can cling on to this little mustard seed and... Uh-huh. And maybe, maybe I'll figure out a, a path out. And I heard eventually things that helped me were like reading other people's stories who had been through this too, to see, okay, you know, somebody else had this, had these feelings too. It's normal. Yeah. And there's a path out of it. And it can actually, I realized over time, it was a, a gradual process, but I came to see that, you know, I think sometimes struggling is how you grow and mm-hmm. a faith that stays still is not a faith that's growing you know in order to grow you have to change you have to learn mm-hmm. new things you have to be open to a new path and and so it can be a hard path but it can also lead to beautiful places that you know you wouldn't go if you if you didn't struggle a little bit and you know 
that's that's where the transformation happens, I think. Absolutely. The metamorphosis. I mean, we see mm-hmm. that in nature all over the place. And I think too, it's so interesting in our reformed tradition, we talk about that reformed and always reforming. Mm-hmm. And then within the RCA, we have this big yeah. ministry plan called transformed and transforming. But it's that ING, that concept that we are in process, right? We're mm-hmm. always on always. the journey. So, you know, when we we live in a society that's sort of like ends driven, it's like, what's the result? What's the result? Mm-hmm. Like, get it done. And this, there just isn't, I mean, it's not about the end. It's not about the end point. And mm-hmm. I think we've been trying to embrace that more and more, especially throughout this whole COVID season when yeah. everything in life that we thought was had, you know, beginning, middle and an end has just completely been turned upside down. The more mm-hmm. that we can, we can engage that practice of the journey of being on the journey. And it just, it opens up all sorts of opportunities for us to learn and grow. And that that's, mm-hmm. that's a big part of it. So I love, I love how you're, you're elevating that. Yeah. So you, you, you named that in, uh, that you came to our guiding coalition summit here at our seminary where my office and my studio yes. is located in, in uh, New Brunswick Theological Seminary and our guiding coalition cross-sector group of leaders that's out of Dr. Cotter, John Cotter at Harvard Business School has this eight eight steps to change, uh, organizational change. And number three is forming a guiding coalition. So when I did that, um, it was very much through prayer, but also through really discerning what are the gifts, what are the types of layers of leadership that we want represented mm-hmm. for our ministry to be able to see what it is that God is beckoning us to. What is it that is the expanded opportunity that we have? And you can't just do that in a vacuum. You have to do that through collaboration and through um, bringing the voices to the table, all different types of voices to the table. So that's what got you and Anna in the door was very much (laughs) part of our communications team, but who you were as women, who you were as rising leaders, the gifts that you brought. Uh, Anna was doing social media at the time. Uh, Just all of that, just we needed you in the room. And, you know, in the church today, we're always looking for who's, who are, who's the next generation. And so at the time, it's been a little while now. So now you're moving (laughs) up a little bit, right? We all age as time, time Mm -hmm. goes by. But at the time you were very much on the leaning edge of of our next gen. And so it was excellent um, to have you have you here. So um, tell us a little bit about what happened when you got here and <laughs> your whole experience oh, being yeah. here in New York and New Jersey. It was a really powerful and important experience for me in a lot of ways. I know I you took a chance on me and I, I have to say, I really appreciate that. I think that that was you like obviously embodying what your work is all about. You know, I might've been like 22, 23. I was very young. <laughs> very fresh. Um, and, and I didn't know what I was doing in a lot of ways. I knew just enough to do what I needed to do, I think, but in a messy kind of way, but yeah, you know, as I said, I'd kind of been going through all that. So I get to the RCA and uh, theologically I'm pretty solid, but emotionally in terms of my connection to my faith, pretty disconnected, pretty wary of engaging. And in this space, ended up being the most spiritually alive I had felt in a long time. I think that's because of the group you brought together and the environment that you created there was just, it was a authentic space. It was a holy space. It's an honest space. It was a diverse space. That that coalition idea was really embodied there. You had people from all different regions, 
all different racial, ethno, ethnic backgrounds, cultural backgrounds. And um, just, we did have some men in the room with us. It wasn't and men, just women. Yeah, it wasn't just mm-hmm. women. Um, and it wasn't that it was all a hopeful or perfect space. It was kind of the contrary in some ways, because I didn't realize it, but I, I quickly saw that I was walking into a place where there were stories where there had been a lot of hurt in a lot of ways that the church has not been kind to people. They had been marginalized and they had not been able to be everything that God had called them to be. And yet they were here and yet they were hoping and yet they were dreaming, but they were also lamenting. And it was both of those things. And I think for Mm -hmm. somebody like me at that time, who was scared of what I scared to kind of confront what I had lost and embrace what I had gained in the faith crisis that I experienced, it was helpful to be in a space where people were so authentic about the ways that they had a hard time with faith and still so hopeful about it to be in that environment made me feel like I could belong there. And to see that these people were people like me who cared about the church in in ways that I cared about the church. Also, you know, even though they were so different than me, I think it was a beautiful way of seeing church unity at its best. Um, So I found this community and I immediately just felt so connected and it's an embraced and that was even despite the fact, I think we'll talk a little more about it later, but Anna and I, the part that we led of this ended up growing something that was amazing, but mm. the process at that time, <laughs> speaking of messy process, like yeah. it was so messy. Um, we had a plan, but the plan clearly was not working. Um, and we had to kind of improvise and realize that and People were so done. It was, you know, late on a Friday night kind of situation. Everyone was pretty checked out and we were trying to have this big vision planning session for what, for what our, our, um, communication and what we could do together could look like. Um, and the purpose was, I think our, at the, at the foundation of it. And this, mm -hmm. it's crazy to think this is just like five and a half years ago, but at the time we really needed to, what in marketing terms we call raise the profile of women mm-hmm. and the Reformed Church in America. We really needed to help the system celebrate the gifts of women to see the different types of diverse leaders that God is bringing, yes. both ordained and laity. And that, you know, there had been all sorts of places where um, there wasn't a sense of wholeness among mm-hmm. among women. And we wanted to really uh, help with that healing you were just talking about yes. and to help the whole system, the both end of the internal with women themselves, but also for the whole system to be able to see what God is doing and in through yes. women. And, um, and so you were leading this vision process to help with the communication part of that. And as you said, yes, it was quite messy. One of our venerable college professors who was part of the coalition <laughs> had to withdraw for the yeah. evening at one point because it was so messy. Um, but, but she also wanted, you know, she also acknowledged the value of, you know, mm-hmm. sometimes just as, you know, God's spirit had to breathe the ruach, the breath over the void at, at the beginning of Genesis, mm-hmm. right? Like into the chaos, God's whole breath breathe something that then created the beauty of creation right and so like something had to over the formless void something had to be breathed and so we needed the holy spirit's breath to breathe over us in that um in that uh that uh meeting room downstairs from where i am here in my studio and it really was a very holy experience and but it was messy just as it was messy but that's creative space has to be messy mm-hmm. and i think too often we feel like you know especially in the church things have to be neat and tidy and organized mm-hmm. and orderly and managed 
and and you our next gen you know young women just threw us all <laughs> you just threw us all you know kind of askew but what came out of that grace is unbelievable because that is how what we call she is called our she is mm-hmm. called ella es llamada in spanish campaign which is now a full-fledged ministry that all came into being through that very messy space so Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being willing to jump in. You had talk about overcoming, like you had to overcome fear. I'm I'm sure some kind of fear, trepidation. I wasn't sure that was, I was, I was definitely afraid. And, and I, again, thank you for for bearing with us as we did it. Cause I I wasn't sure how that was all going to turn out, but God kind of had a plan anyway. And it worked Mm -hmm. out. But yeah, I mean, we learned like we just, we were trying to do like marketing personas and we had all of this language that, you know, it's one of those things too. I think you do when you are kind of insecure, you bolster up your, your area of expertise. You try to throw around fancy words, but if nobody else knows what you're talking about anyway, it's not all that helpful. And then Mm -hmm. you're just kind of, you know, I think that was actually one of our mistakes that I learned from was just talk to people at a normal level. You don't need to try to make yourself sound smart, do the thing that needs to be done in a way that everyone We'll know what you're talking about, um, but that's a really good tip, right? Yeah, keep it real. That's that's keep the whole real. thing. Keep yeah. it real. Just, yep. You don't need to put on a face for people. It's not, and and if you do, I, I think people kind of can see through that mm-hmm. anyway. Um, but yeah, that was a pivotal time. I mean, and it was it was right the week of the 2016 election. It's an interesting time to be in New York as well because I stayed right after, and so I was there for that in Times Square. And yeah, it was just. It was an it was a very big juxtaposition, I think, of of emotions and changes and things happening in different spheres um, that were related and not related, but all mixed together in the timeline. And I think I think it's it's important that you see those things together in some ways because. God brings you the hope that you need and the resilience that you need. And God brings you the challenges that you're going to need to overcome often all at once in a, in a mixed bag that, you know, in retrospect, you can kind of figure out what the story is, but in in the moment, sometimes you just need to be able to, to take them together and say, okay, yes, there's a whole hot mess that's going on here. Things are not going according to plan in these ways, but wow, I can appreciate and have gratitude for the things that are beautiful right now. Um, And I can see that there is this powerful thing that I've just experienced. I think you pair laments with hope and you, I don't think you try to disentangle those things much as it would be easier and neater to say, this is all a beautiful story, a hopeful story, a wonderful story, or this is all a story of lament and the things that were hard that we had to go through before we could have hope. But in reality, a lot of the time, those stories are happening all at once. And, and sometimes they need to happen all at once for them to um, unfold into the movement that they could become in the case of something like she is called, I think. And I think this, this whole concept of lamenting with hope, that's something that we learned early on. Because when I um when I came into this work in 2014, mm-hmm. yeah, I was I was um you know sort of my one liner of my job description was to help the Reformed Church in America pursue the vision 
for the full inclusion of women's gifts and influence and leadership in all areas of the church and Mm -hmm. beyond. So it was this idea of wanting to draw the circle wide, Mm -hmm. wanting to embrace the gifts and influence, wanting to make sure that there was this, um, you know, this both andedness of men and women working side by side, ushering in a vision of God's reign. I mean, we had all this beautiful language that we, you know, that, that God brought us when we talked to different constituents and, you know, we kind of created this plan um, as I came in. But one of the things that I learned right away was the the organization at the time was really wanting to move forward with a Mm. whole new ministry plan, the Transformed and Transforming Ministry Plan, kind of gung-ho, let's, you know, 15 years, let's move it forward. Yeah. Shaping, you know, leadership collaboratives, learning communities for for church groups to come together, you know, different types of events and processes moving Mm -hmm. from a both, um, from a top-down approach that sometimes denominations can kind of get in the habit of being, to coming alongside uh, the local church. So it really was that, you know, being in partnership, that whole notion of collaboration, Mm -hmm. and not just a program that we're handing in a little box with a bow on it, but a process. Yeah. So just what we were talking about, all that ING mm-hmm. stuff, the forming, yeah. the transforming, the journey. And um, and so, you know, I, I came in and I started to look around and I was very fortunate, Grace, because, um, you know, my then supervisor and mentor and um, I used to call him my boss and he's like, no, 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 I'm your champion. I'm your advocate. I'm your I coach. Right. So that so that's yes. another tip for people is if you're in a supervisory role to see to really embrace the, you know, embrace this concept of as coach advocate champion, especially, mm-hmm. especially if you are supervising uh somebody who comes from a marginalized people group or the ministry or the if it's outside of the church, you know, the department that it is, mm-hmm. it's something that's on the edge, right? That's coming in. You're trying to bring yeah. something in from the margins. And so um so what Dr. Ken Eric said to me, Reverend Dr. Ken Eric's was take 90 days to listen. Go mm-hmm. meet as many women and men as you can and really listen to what what's happening out there. And I will tell you that was that was my ticket to ride because mm-hmm. I had nothing else really. And I learned so much. And one of the biggest things that I learned was how much healing was needed, was how much hurt there was, mistrust. And that's, I mean, there's a whole history there that I won't go in here, but, but it, there, there was pain and, um, and, and broken, broken relationships and such. Mm -hmm. And so that was really, it was so important to be able to then start to develop what we now call this format of honoring our stories. We call it Mm. honoring our stories, the notion of story. And we know Jesus taught in stories. The Bible is full of stories of people, Mm -hmm. right? It's all about God's redeeming work in the world. That's God's big story. So, you know, all these layers of story. So, so we created Leslie Mazada, my certified spiritual director, uh, you know, colleague here, um, in women's transformation leadership, we we worked alongside other women and we created this process called Honoring Our Stories. And it was about the joys and the challenges mm-hmm. of, of, of our lives, of our ministries. And then where were we having um, barriers? Where were there barriers, both internal and external barriers? And then how do we break through those barriers to then live into what God is calling us to? So it's this beautiful process. But through that, what we knew we had to do was keep it real so it was about the hopes 
the joys, the victories, and the pains, the challenges, and the overcoming. Mm -hmm. And so being able to do that both and, especially in a world that either wants you to show up and everything's fine, everything's great, I've got it all together, right? That is what we are taught to do so much. And now more and more we're realizing, right? I think now the keeping it real has in today, today's world is people are understanding that because the cost is our mental health. It's our mental and psycho-spiritual health is very much at stake. And then, um, and so that piece, and then also being able to lay bare and create a space where we can lament, but because of our, of our Christian faith, right? We do lean into the hope, right? Mm -hmm. The hope that we know with our relationship with Jesus being in Christian community with the ways that the Holy Spirit will lead and guide us if we are obedient and just open ourselves up. And that healing comes when we're in community. So we learned all of that. Thank goodness we learned that Mm -hmm. fairly early on. But that was really an important piece to be able to move forward in this ministry and, and find that hope right? Yes. Find that hope. And that was our, when I came into the ministry, I said, Lord, what's our, what's our, um, what's our foundational verse? What's our focus scripture? Mm-hmm. And just like every Christian graduation card anybody's ever received, Jeremiah 29, 11 is what came to me was, mm-hmm. you know, for surely I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord yes. plans for not despair and destruction, but a future with hope. Mm-hmm. And that's where we've embraced, you know, we embrace that hope and in the translation, the, the the Hebrew translation, that um, for surely I know the plans I have for you. The you is not an individual person, even though that's what we think when we get the graduation card. Yeah. It is the whole people Israel that God mm-hmm. is promising that they will come back and from, from their exile. And that is what we leaned into so heavily with this ministry. And where you found yourself, I think, when yes. you came, stepped into community is that that's where we find our hope is in being together. So that's, yeah. that's a really important thing. The other thing I wanted to just, um, just mention since resilience is part of, you know, this so, so foundational for, for our podcast and our stories is, you know, what is the definition of resilience? Mm-hmm. And so I've, as, as our listeners know, cause they, they hear every, every, every person that comes to join me shares what they think about resilience, but just broadly it, the ability to recover from setbacks adapt well to change, keep going in the face of adversity. And as uh, the Reverend Dr. Denise Kingdom Greer, who was on last season with me, she talked about it as elasticity, the ability to be stretch, 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 and then still be able to snap back mm-hmm. and, and retain your, your shape. So that sense of being able to stretch, being elastic, our elasticity mm-hmm. to not snap and break, but to be able to snap back and uh and to to stay whole right to not be broken mm-hmm. to stay whole yeah i've certainly seen you do that um in this ministry and and i've seen the ministry do that and i think i wanted to also pick up on some of the things you were saying liz about i i do think like the honoring our stories process has been so important and you know talking about that history like i didn't know the history coming into this but to learn about about how much of up, ups and downs have been part even of of the story of women in the RCA. Yes. Was really eye-opening for me. And I think people sometimes it kind of is similar to this idea of like it's either people try to categorize things as they're either all good, joyful, happy, or 
just super sad lament, no hope. Exactly. But it's been so much of both, even in the history as we talk about women's history, right? Of yes, spend more than 40 years, women have been allowed to be ordained in the RCA. And yet you have this history even within that of there's a lot of, we get really hopeful about new things, you know, kind of being opened up to women. And then at the same time, there's kind of two steps back that happen, or, you know, there was the loss of their, of, of really treasured by many people, women's office that came before you. And I know, Mm -hmm. I don't know how much you want to talk about that here and we can, you know, you can make that decision, sure. but I know that that was very painful for a lot of people. And that was part of what you were walking into as people felt the loss of that office and the promise that that had been, you know, supposed to continue. And then it really didn't, um, made people have a hard time trusting and hoping. Um, and so you end up having to rebuild by, by processing those stories. And that went against the instinct, right. Of, of, of where everyone else in the culture of the organization was at, where they kind of wanted to say, the way that we move forward is and get beyond these things that were bad in our past or painful in our past is by pretending they're not there and just papering over them and saying, we're only looking forward. Um, so how, how was it for you to kind of walk into a, a culture yeah. that said, no, we don't want to open those doors to the things that, you know, mm-hmm. in our past are, are harmful or hurtful to us. We want to pretend that didn't happen within the organization. But at, then at the same time, you also have this, this group of people that you're called to serve who are very much in a place of pain and they're, they're not ready to move forward. Um, and so you're kind of bridging that gap. What was it like to bridge that gap? And yeah. how did you kind of go about that? Yep. Such, it's all so good. That's such great questions. So I think the the little phrase that you used called to serve the people that I'm called mm-hmm. to serve. So for me and my work, the more that I stayed focused on that, and then again, this is part of the coalition and the collaboration is the more that I could bring back to the system, the stories from the field, right? Mm-hmm. The realities in the field. What do the people that we are called to serve need? What is actually happening with them? What is, you know, they call it, in, you know, kind of change management. They call it the current reality. What is the current reality? Yeah. And that's what those 90 days gave me at least a glimpse of, right? Was when I went and I started to listen to what those stories were. But it took time to sort of um, uncover. And that's because people didn't want, you know, this is a nice Christian, you know, church. People Mm -hmm. don't want to be gossiping. They don't want to be complaining. But yet, but yet, Mm -hmm. (laughs) yet still we say, right? And so um, we engaged in the process of Sankofa which is, mm-hmm. you know, West Indian concept, a West African, excuse me, West African concept of looking back to look forward. And you, you through that notion of Sankofa, we were able to look back at what had come before, able to see the amazing things, able to pick up on stuff. And then that lays the foundation for what is to come and how you are mm-hmm. to move forward. And the the image of the the Sankofa is a bird that is looking back with a little egg in its beak. And so that's just that again, looking back to look forward with mm-hmm. the new thing, the egg that is that 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 is in its beak. And we we had to look, um, you know, not to not to belabor it here, but just to say we had to look at the history of women in the Reformed Church in America. And we did find some um some systemic kind of systemic cycles, cycles mm-hmm. 
of places where women would kind of get traction, they'd be flourishing, and then something would happen that would kind of cut it off. Yeah. One classic example is when uh, Global Mission, Women in Global Mission, mm. they started a whole ministry here mm-hmm. stateside for women the Women's Board of Foreign Missions that started at Marble Collegiate Church in New York City in 1875. Those women in their hoop skirts gathered and created this whole Board of Foreign Missions. And then it just flourished Mm -hmm. until 1945 when the organization realized, wow, these women have, they are really doing a great job. Let's bring them into the general Board of Foreign Missions and have it all be one. Mm -hmm. When they did that, because of just the way things were at the time, the women couldn't continue to lead like they were. They had to sit under the men. Mm -hmm. And in some places, they couldn't even get up and speak. They couldn't lead committees. And so the flourishing was just lobbed off at the knees. And it just, there was, there was, it was very traumatic and very hard for the women. How can you imagine? I mean, how heartbreaking for them. They had this space where they were able to lead and flourish and support the sisters and brothers out in the mission field and all of that opportunity for gifts, influence, and leadership, right. To be part of got stripped away. Yeah. And I, I can assure you that it was not the intention, right. That's not what the men were trying to do. So this is where you just have to really get, you know, we have to be very humble. We have to be very forgiving, very compassionate, and just understand that there are times when these things happen. And so, you know, in scripture, it tells us that the enemy seeks to divide and conquer. This is when the hinderer is trying to hinder and block the the unfolding, right, of the kingdom of God, the unfolding of the reign of of, of God's reign here on earth is that's when that we get in trouble that way. And so that's what we're so so we want to learn from that. And we want to honor those who who were part of that, both Mm -hmm. the the joy, the joyful part of it and the painful part of it. So that's just one example. And then also you were alluding to it, the Reformed Church Women's Ministries. That was a flourishing ministry for over 50 years in the mid uh, 20th century. And um, when the women decided to that it was time to retire that ministry, their intention was to be able to open an office for women within the broader organization. And unfortunately, that just wasn't the time and the place There were all sorts of reasons why that didn't happen. But then 10 years later, 2014, this ministry was created. And so it took, though, a lot of peeling back. They say peeling back the the layers of the onion, right? To try to get to the bottom of like, what happened then? Why did it take so long? And I am so grateful that there were women and men that that were willing to sit with me, build trust, build relationship, and share those stories with me mm-hmm. so that I could understand what the what what was the problem? What was the challenge? Why didn't it flourish then? And then we were able to, through those lessons, then we were able to see what do we now have to overcome? What are the seen and unseen barriers that we need to overcome in order to be able to live into this new, this new future, this yeah. future with hope that God is calling us to? So, so that's also where the Guiding Coalition was important because there were women who served on the Guiding Coalition, especially in, in the first years, who really brought a lot of that wisdom. Uh, one is Arlene Waldorf, just been a wonderful uh, mentor to me and, um, and friend. 
who who was able to share some of the things and just countless other women that were willing to share their stories and their pain with me so that we could learn to move forward. And then it also led to, so just thinking about where's the hope, where's the lavish hope, it led us to create a whole legacy of leadership book where we have all these snapshots of women through these hundreds of years of the Reformed Church in America who have been who have contributed in all sorts of different ways. And so we've got that, like, you know, talking about raising the profile of women, that Mm -hmm. legacy of leadership um, booklet is one thing that was a beautiful blessing from that. Because as you start to go back and do that Sankofa work, you start to see who are, who, who are these, you know, there was a movie hidden figures, right? Hidden figures, no longer. Mm -hmm. And this is, this, this is our version of that, of that. We're not, the women are not going to be hidden. And especially women, I would say also women who have been historically, intentionally, traditionally uh, on the margins. And so those are in many cases, those are women of color, women of different racial, ethnic backgrounds as well. So that's been, and that's very, very um, near and dear to my heart is that sense of of, uh, all tribes and all tongues and all nations coming together. So that's been also a beautiful piece of all of this. I love that so much. And I think it is beautiful to see that those stories can be kind of reclaimed and celebrated the way that you Mm -hmm. wish that they had been all along, but it's not too late to still, you know, take the time to, to honor them. And I love, you know, that that's so much a part of your heart. And I'd love to hear a little bit more about that, that element of embracing the full diversity of, of, of women and of women and men together um, that we have and that we kind of see painted even in the Bible um, when we look at um, the ultimate vision that we're all, all called to work toward of, of, of every tribe and every tongue coming together. Um, how do you think that that cultural element intersects with resilience and, and, and how do you see culture kind of shaping the way that we think about um, maybe both resilience, hope, and, and that lament piece? Um, in the work that you do and in the movement? Well, there's a lot that, that we could say about that because it's a very, I don't want to shortchange the process because it's it's a very complex one. This is not a simple quick fix, but I will say this plays into our overall notion of community building mm-hmm. and both and and drawing the circle wide. And, you know, this more recent work that we've been doing now called equity-based hospitality, this idea of being hospitable and creating a place for everybody. Mm -hmm. La mesa es para todas. That's what I told the Latinas when I first came in that our general secretary then, Tom DeVries, said that there's a place for everybody at this table uh, in this transformed and transforming ministry plan. And so I think um, one of the things was the wisdom, honestly, of those that hired me, because my primary call to ministry is hospitality. So, and they told me that. That's mm-hmm. what I was. I was told this is one of the main reasons why we would like you is because of this gifting and this passion that you have for hospitality, mm-hmm. radical biblical hospitality. And so, I, I think that's kind of the foundation here. Is this? Um, this idea that we're not just going to go with the usual suspects or the people that are just in the inner circle. We're going to go and stretch it out and we're going to go sniffing out and looking for mm-hmm. who's hanging in the margins, 
who is sitting out there just waiting to be welcomed, just looking for a place to belong, for a sense of purpose, for a way to share their gifts. And that is something that I have just for many years had had the opportunity to hone. I I was ministering in New York City with a very diverse population of people and myself having been brought up by culturally, I had often felt like the little girl who didn't belong. So for myself, like talk about, you know, God, Mm -hmm. God, God redeems, right? So the little girl who didn't belong becomes the one who God is going to use because this is all about God mm-hmm. using me. I'm totally humble mm-hmm. about all of this. I'm just the vessel, right? I'm just the broken vessel that God is using, but that I get to welcome others and to just sort of help them as they are seeking um, yeah. and learning more about God and figuring out what it is that that their purpose is. What, is, mm-hmm. what are God's plans and purposes for them in, in this community, right? Yeah. So that was something that was really beautiful. And I think too, you know, you just, you have to go with the gifts. And so I'm blessed that I was raised in a very um, multicultural, multiracial environment. I know that that in, you know, I'm I'm going to age myself, but in the seventies schools were just being desegregated in some places. Mm -hmm. And the school that I went to here in the States was already, um, was already that way. And then we combined with another school to go even further into that. So mm-hmm. I, that was normative for me. And then I also, I, I lived part of my, my childhood in Madrid, Spain. So I also had that sense of, you know, living a global worldview, living, yeah. living with, there's something beyond the United States. And so I think all of that really, that God equipped me right? Um, to be able to walk into this and actually live into that vision that the RCA had already had for a multicultural, multiracial future freed from racism. Mm-hmm. So that for me was something that was very, um, in Spanish, we say me llamó la atención, that called my attention. I thought that was a very intriguing concept. And so from the get-go, this ministry was built with that in mind, to be able to to again, I'm going to just keep saying it, draw the circle wide, <laughs> but, yes. but to really be able to see who, who all is out there. And you have to be respectful because not mm-hmm. everybody wants to come and sit at the table. Not everybody, that's not what everybody is ready to do um, at the beginning. So there were some that were, you know, early adopters that were like, great, we're on. And then others mm-hmm. who just maybe came from a cultural background or from a personal, you know, they had to heal, they had to break through some fears or they just had to get the lay of the land. They needed to process a little longer. So also a big thing, Grace, is this idea of you got to keep circling around Mm -hmm. to people. You can't just put out one invite and then, okay, they're not responding. Never mind them. You got to come back around and check in on them again and again. So that's the other piece I think that's really important in this idea of community building is you have to keep going gather them in, yeah. gather them in, see who's still not there. You got to keep checking and not just checking to make sure you're, you know, you got your diversity rubric is, you know, your, your, your you scoreboard your boxes on your quota. Exactly. You have to be really careful about that. So that's the other yeah. thing too, is you have to be really mindful of, of making sure that you're not doing it just to be able to say you've, you've, you've checked off your, your boxes, but that you're really doing it because it's what God is calling. It is the right. vision. It is the vision. The revelation seven and nine vision is really being made manifest. Mm-hmm. And then also it, it's also around this idea of men and women working together, right? We want to create 
healthy ministry environments where men and women together can flourish, where ministry partnerships can thrive between men and women. And in a world that is so divided, so divisive, mm-hmm. I mean, this idea of either or, right? We see it at every turn. Yes, We serve a both and God, and we want to have the whole body of Christ able to serve. And so that also has been very much foundational, but we do it not in a high-handed way. We have to do it in a very integrated, I always say with grace and diplomacy, we have yes. to cast this vision. So that's the hospitality piece is to how to be very intentional. Like, yes, we're going to, we're going to be intentional and we are going to do this, but it doesn't have to be in a way that, um, that, that makes people that's jarring or that puts people mm-hmm. on the defense. I can't always guarantee that that doesn't happen, but you know, <laughs> Nobody people, can. people are going to be happy and people are going to react how they're going to react or respond, how they're going to respond. But we, we want to try to do it in a way that is, that's just God honoring. And, mm-hmm. and that is, you know, how Jesus showed up with the woman at the well, right? The Samaritan woman, yes. and he showed up with her and the way he was able to pull stuff out of her. And she just went, you know, she was head to head with him, toe to toe. She was mm-hmm. asking him the question. She was like, excuse me. And he just engaged in such a beautiful way that then resulted in her being the first evangelist. Yes. Like talk about an amazing calling, right? And it's the longest conversation he had with anyone in the entire, you know, canon of scripture Mm. was with this Samaritan woman at the well, a woman of a different racial ethnic background Mm -hmm. and of different gender. And so that's, that's just, you know, that's a beautiful example. Um, One of the kind of pinnacle examples of how Jesus met people and, and empowered them to live into a a strange and wondrous Mm -hmm. calling as Mary Oliver calls it. So Grace, thinking about this, um, this whole experience and kind of how you got called into helping raise the profile of women, mm-hmm. helping us to think through our communication strategies. As you alluded to earlier, there was this beautiful plan that emerged from our Guiding Coalition mm-hmm. Summit um, that we call the She Is Called. It was called the She Is Called Campaign, Ella Es Llamada. Yes. I'm just wondering if you'd share kind of how that all came into being. Yeah, absolutely. So I kind of mentioned that there was this sort of hot mess vision session that, yeah, it came out of, as Liz talked about, this idea that there really needed to be a way for us to celebrate and raise the profile of women um, in the RCA and even beyond. Um, And so we got talking about this and a couple of things were clear. One, there was a lot of resonance about doing this by sharing women's stories of how they were living out their calling from God um, whether that be within a church context or in, in another part of the world. Um, and that we wanted that to feel like something that everyone was invited into, um, you know, whether they were clergy women who were, you know, leading in pastoral roles, women in the marketplace, women in nonprofit, women in mission, women who are leading and serving in their communities in relational and familial contexts. We wanted there to be a lot of different spaces for women to be able to celebrate how they're called by God. And that, that this would be, again, you talk about equity-based hospitality. We wanted to honor 
that there are so many different ways that God calls people depending on their mm-hmm. gifts and, and, and where they've been placed. And um, we wanted to be inclusive of people who are in a lot of different parts of the church that were at different stages. Honestly, we didn't want this to only be for people who are we're all in clergy women all the way, but we wanted those people to feel fully celebrated. So it was feeling, figuring out how to do that balance of inviting everyone in, but having it have teeth to it. So we had a lot of really robust conversation. Eventually, after we got past, you know, Anna and I trying to make everyone come up with pretend people uh, <laughs> to imagine that they were marketing things to and, and started to talk about the real meat of what we were trying to, to actually lift up. Um, we kind of landed on this idea of calling and, you know, we actually went through a couple names. Um, the, 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 the day that we first visioned this, we didn't have, she is called as the name, um, that emerged later, but what we, what we loved about that. And I think why we really landed on that was that it was meaningful and substantial. And it was also really inviting. It meant that all different types of women would be able to embrace this movement and say, yes, I am called and this is my story. And I am part of this. I belong. I, I have been called by God to be everything that I can be. And this is how I'm doing that. Um, so we did this initially, we really thought of it as like a social media movement with video testimonies. And we also had this thought, like, what if we, what if we did t-shirts? You know, that was actually kind of a side thought that we thought that would be kind of cool. We didn't really know that that would be a big, big thing, but we thought, you know, it can be fun and empowering to have a nice message t-shirt. And we thought, well, we could, you know, use this. We had this idea of like, what if, what if maybe this was a way that we could claim stories of biblical women? Yes. And, um, so we had these shirts that, uh, we ended up moving forward with that we just thought, well, we'll run a small order. Uh, we found a great vendor that could, you know, like, I don't even know how many we ordered the first time, not a ton, just nope. some shirts that we thought, well, we could have them. And then maybe we could hand them out to people at events and see if, if that, you know, was something other people were interested in that they would say these names of biblical women and me, and they would have our little hashtag on the, um, on the shirt, on like the uh, sleeve and we'll see what happens. And that, honestly, it's amazing. It it grew like wildfire and we've never really tried to like make, it it was not a huge promotional campaign thing. It just grew itself because people saw the shirts and they were like, I want that. Where do I get one? So we, it it has been amazing. And the video testimonies too, we, it took us longer than we thought that it would as often these things do, but we collected all these amazing stories and we were able to share them um, on social media and even for the RCA, we ended up eventually being able to share them at General Synod. um, Which is our annual business meeting. Yeah, yeah. For people who are not in the know, delightful church government uh, lingo. (laughs) But um, it's really the other thing that happened with that was by, by framing it as she is called, we didn't put RCA in there, even though we thought about that. We were able to invite people from far beyond the RCA to participate in this. And so that it could be its own movement. That was, that was really about all women being able to say, yes, she is called and men to be able to say, and we love that she is called and we support that she is called. Um, I remember when we were talking about what we would title the Facebook page, that was even a discussion. Um, And uh, I think it was Sarah Lindstrom who said, you know what, if we called it, 
RCA Women's Transformation Leadership, that's not a page that I would follow. That just sounds kind of bland, but she is called. I would be excited, you know? Yeah. And I think she was so right. Um, But this thing, it ended up just growing and growing and growing. And like the Bible study is another thing that really has in the same way as the t-shirts did just it exploded and that again was listening to women you know you were hearing right from women who were saying you know we really want a solid bible study that is going to be empowering to us and is going to help us to learn and is going to help us to learn by inviting us into stories of women in the bible and and we think that that is something that we really need to be able to um grow in our faith well. Um, and there's not as many resources out there that do this well as there should be. And, and so you, you said, well, we could do something about that. And, and that became another, she is called thing. So, so many things like that. And and I'm sure you could rattle off like, you know, 10 or 12 more Liz. It's just been amazing. But Grace, that's what's so beautiful is what started off as kind of the She Is Called marketing campaign yeah, with videos and a social media presence and t-shirts. That then, and you know, the whole idea of having it be biblical women and me was mm-hmm. that we've got to point it as Christians. What what makes us different yes. from, you know, people out in the secular world is that the women that we want to look to are biblical women. I mean, it's wonderful. There's mm-hmm. so many women in history that we want to honor and lift up Absolutely. as well. But what what is unique for the church? And raising the names of these biblical mothers and sisters and aunties mm-hmm. of the faith was what we could stand on. It's also what could help in places where, you know, folks are not so clear about women in ministry that we're able to kind of, you know, they talk about like, how do you correct the narrative? How do you yeah. offer a new narrative? How do you really reveal some of these scriptural truths that are, you know, without again, being heavy handed about it. So the t-shirts were wonderful. And I have to say, I know so many women who wear those shirts. Number one, they do it as sort of like an invitation to other people to talk about their faith. It's fantastic. Many of them love to wear them on the airplane or in the grocery store. They get asked, you know, oh, is that your sister's? Yes, kind of. (laughs) And and then there's others who wear it when they go into a meeting where they're going to be the only woman or where they've got to take, Mm -hmm. you know, if they're a woman studying for ministry that they have to take an exam or something. So these these t-shirts went way beyond just being kind of a novelty item. Yeah. They, they really, really have had so much significance. And so we went from this kind of campaign she is called, and then of course also in Spanish, Ella es llamada. Yes. Our, our Latinas on our guiding coalition were like, we want ours too. So um, that's Carla Camacho and Sonia Esbelli, Loera Castro. They were like, we want mm-hmm. t-shirts. So then we started... Um, we just started to also do this in Spanish and then who knows, we could do it in other languages too, as the need arises. But I think um, the thing that then happened was this idea of she is called became more robust with this, uh, with bringing in the biblical uh, women. And then the, she is called women of the Bible study series, three volumes. Mm -hmm. We've just come out with volume two, Crystal Wright, our artist for them, uh, was just my guest a couple episodes ago. And so, um, as was April Feet co-editor and other the others who have written for it. But what that was, um, that's an example of us then taking a deeper dive, deeper into helping equip the church. That's our, that's back to call to serve, right? Who are we called to serve, mm-hmm. right? The church, people in the church. And so, 
um, and not just in the Reformed Church in America, as you said, Grace, that we want to go deep and wide. We want to go deeper into resourcing the RCA and celebrating what God is doing in the RCA, but also go wider and draw in others, whatever their denomination, or if they have no denomination, whoever they may be. And that's also, you know, a great, that's a great um, sort of collaboration that we have going with your work with FaithWord, right? Which also has that outward facing. Very much so. So, and I think that's part of what's so beautiful here is, you know, when I was talking about that, you know, the uh, worldview, global worldview is like, go beyond something. We're part of something that is greater than just ourselves. Uh And I think that's what's so beautiful. So, going into these stories of women in the Bible and having it be not just for women, but for men, for mm-hmm. all God's children to engage in. So whether you're a small group, it's from your women's ministries, or if you're a small group that is, you know, guys and girls together, whatever the ages, whatever the stages of life, these Bible studies are meant to be a building God's church together resource. Mm-hmm. And everything we did was with that in mind. We even have the co-editors are Dr. Travis West and Reverend April Feet. So, you know, we want to really model that and make sure that we're 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 bringing in, um, you know, we're practicing what we preach, so to speak. And then also that piece around the multiracial, multicultural future. Mm-hmm. We are, are that's the beauty of this Bible study is that we have so many different voices from different places, um, different racial ethnic backgrounds, different like geographic locations, different types of callings. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes it feel really fresh and alive mm-hmm. and relevant. That's a huge critique out there in the world, right? Is that yeah. is the church even relevant today? And so we want to make sure that we're attending to that, that we're not just, you know, grinding it out, doing the thing that's been done for so many years, honoring that, but then also seeing what is it that God is calling us to in this, you know, this future with hope that we're promised. So yeah, that it's really exciting. Absolutely. And then we even um our guiding coalition kind of helped us that. Like we have something called a leadership collaborative, which is a one-year process that women can go through together, a small group process. So that's called the She is Called Leadership Collaborative. Yes. And then we do trips once a year where we go to one of our global mission uh, sites. And that's also now centered on women. So we call that the She is Called Global mm-hmm. Mission Experience. We've gone to South Africa and to uh, Southern Italy and the Holy Land, Israel, Palestine. So it's kind of exciting to see how it's, become, it's really built out and become very substantive so that, you know, out of that messy meeting (laughs) where we didn't even come up with a hashtag then, but that we, we came up with, you know, the basic premise. The core of of it was there. Absolutely. But even still, we had no idea. Like I remember think us talking about, yeah, it would just be really great if we could get a little bit of traction on social media. Like if it wasn't just us posting about it, but other people started to just share their stories, that would be amazing. And it we got at such bigger plans than we even knew. And it like now I encounter people, I'll meet them and they'll know what she is called is already from somewhere else. And yeah. it's just amazing to see that happen that people you encounter in, in everyday life have actually already heard of this thing. Yeah. Um, so exciting. The other thing I wanted to say was that those t-shirts um, that then became a fundraiser for us. We realized mm-hmm. that we could raise money for women's leadership development. And so that then, you know, again, like deeper purpose for all of this, that it just, you know, then became a place where we were able to offer more scholarships, more grants for women to engage in our work with us um, that maybe wouldn't have been able to because of financial, uh, you know, limitations. So, 
so it it's again a holistic beautiful ministry that just is I mean, we're just constantly in all, right? We say we're women and men on the move and the movement of the spirit. And that's all through the leading of the Holy Spirit. We give God all the glory for that because while we did, you know, we've kind of got, you know, we like to be creative. That's who we are. Mm -hmm. You know, those of us that are part of this, but that it really was always being led by the Holy Spirit, always seeking what is it that God is calling us to do. You know, Uh, yeah, absolutely. I shared at the beginning of this a little bit about my personal story. I feel like part of my story for, for me was also like, she is called prepared me, like being part of that, helping to figure out how we would get that off the ground, really prepared me and primed me to be able to see what the Holy Spirit was doing and be ready for what we did with Faith Word, which came like about two, three years later and similarly ended up being, well, what if we wanted to do something about exploring faith and helping people to move forward in faith and, 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 and dive deeper into what God is calling them to beyond the RCA, just for anybody who has got a heart for this. And I don't know if we would, if I would have been as ready to do that work, if it hadn't been for she is called, which so aligned with it and was in so many ways, part of that there's, they're sort of come kind of come hand in hand in my mind. And, and yeah, I, I think it's also interesting. You talked about like, you know, for you, it was kind of ironic. God, God prepared you by having you, you know, experience as, as you were growing up, what it was like to be the girl who didn't belong so that you could help people belong. feel like I, I maybe look at it now and it's, it's funny because I feel like God kind of, I prepared me. I was the girl who fought to believe. And and so now it, I end up becoming a person who now some of a big part of my work has been providing a space for people who are trying to figure out what it is to believe and to have faith when that's really hard. And I think it's, it resilience and calling can work in funny ways that way. Right. Where in our, in our things that we overcome, God prepares us to invite other people into overcoming their own things. And, and I see that these kind these movements that we're in the midst of now really reflect that. So I just, I, I find that to be interesting, but it's not easy. And I, you talked about, you know, your grace and diplomacy mantra. And I wonder if if you want to say a little bit more about why, why do you think that that ends up being so important in this process? And, and how do you work with being both gracious and diplomatic, but then also, you know, there has to be this persistence and um, you, you can be elastic in, in some ways, but then very firm in others. How do you kind of balance that well? Well, I think that's where... That's where both faith and community have to come into play. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's like, I, I like to joke, you know, I'm on a mission from God, <laughs> put on my, yeah. put on my sunglasses and be on a mission from God. And, um, and just, it's like, if you are called to it, God will give you what you need, right? God, God, God calls you to it. God will see you through it. Um, and, and that, that has really helped sustain me over and over mm-hmm. again. And then also, um, you know, even though this is very serious work, you have to find a way to mediate the weight of how mm-hmm. serious it is. Mm-hmm. So it's not that you're taking it lightly or you're just kind of blowing it off or what have you, but you you do have to have some sort of balance there where you can, you know, and that's part of the joys and the challenges, right? You have to know when to pull back from the challenges and find the joys. Mm-hmm. And that can be really tricky. It can be very yeah. tricky. Um 
but you just have to keep, you know, you have to keep practicing. These are practices. You know, we talk about mm-hmm. um, on this podcast about, you know, what are the tips? What are the tools that we're going to take with us? So I think just, you know, practicing the balance of what the joys and the victories are. And I will say too, you, you asked me before, like, how did we cultivate some of this in like kind of mainstream mainline Protestant church, which is descended from, you know, kind of Northern European enlightenment for those that know what that means. It's very heady um, mm-hmm. kind of uh, uh, practice and theology of church and coupled with the very American Western way of thinking, very individualistic, very um, kind of, you know, results oriented. Yeah. When you pull back off of that, which is, you know, that that is not biblical. All those things are mm-hmm. actually not biblical. So when you lean back off of that, it's like, that's what society tells us to do. And when you lean, when you kind of take the pressure off of that and lean more into kind of global cultures or ethnic racial cultures, um, immigrant cultures, I mean, these are all different terms that are used. You can find some real real pearls of wisdom that really helps set you up well. Mm-hmm. And so that notion that we go not alone, we go in the company of one another, we do it together. I always think about in my cultures of origin, I have, you know, some people that came from Northern Europe and they came to this country and they went and they established farms where they were alone, except for miles and miles and miles of crops around them. And then they went to town every once in a while to pick up the newspaper, to go to church on Sunday, what have you. But they were out claimsteaders, right? Mm -hmm. Then you have places in the Mediterranean where I have ancestry and you go back to those little hill villages and literally a little hill village where everybody's living on top of each other, all (laughs) grouped together with all the crops and all the land spreading out that they go out to, Mm -hmm. and then they come back to be together. And so, and, and so, you know, that's just my little story of, you know, the two different um, components that I have, but then, you know, you think about so many other um, global cultures, racial, ethnic cultures, that where do we get these, this sort of like these, this, 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 um, these practices. So that idea that everybody comes together. And then also if everybody's all together in this little tiny hill village, everything they do, there has to be consensus. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, there's this beautiful, beautiful opportunities. Um, And I think for some people that could be seen as a little oppressive, right? It's like, I can't (laughs) move without everybody knowing my business. But I think that that is, there's something there that's very helpful here of of being able to come together. I also want to say that um, in the the African-American Black tradition of lament, um, you know, we know that, 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 uh, there's so much in the history in the United States that has, you know, the foundation is that this country was built on the backs of enslaved Africans. And so that's something that we, um, you know, in our ministry, we completely center that and claim that. And, you know, we pray mm-hmm. against the sin of racism. We've got mm-hmm. a whole movement for that dismantling racism. Uh, and, and so, but, and as we're acknowledging all the pain and the challenge and and the sin of that, we also see how did that people rise and 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 overcome? Yeah, and so through that, you want to you see that there are practices there of lament, lamenting with hope, of mm-hmm. finding joy even in adversity, of being able to come together and find strength and resilience mm-hmm. and being over to over being able to overcome. And so, 
that is just, it's a very unique and and poignant counterpoint to some mm-hmm. of the individualism that we see. Yeah. And so I think it's, it's how do we, you know, never with, um, wanting to co-op or appropriate, but, but, you know, as Christians, as coming together around the table, how do we learn from one another and how do Mm -hmm. we celebrate and honor those cultures, which are, which have demonstrated so much resilience and overcoming even in the face of great adversity. So I think that's, those are some little glimpses of kind of the things that we've, that we've, that we've leaned into. The other thing that's very fun with women's transformation leadership, it's, you know, my culture is Latin Mediterranean. There's, you know, all these other global cultures where we celebrate the, um, the accomplishments. So we celebrate when somebody gets a degree or we celebrate when they get a new job or we celebrate you know, these kind of, this notion of titles, we have to guard ourselves not to get too kind of full of ourselves or for it not to be like, um, you know, kind of gloating or bragging. But at the same time, when somebody does, you know, get elevated, quote unquote, does does rise up, does accomplish something, we do celebrate that. And, and mm-hmm. the reason why is because it's celebrating all of us. When one woman rises in her, in the updraft of her rising, rise others. And mm-hmm. so that's that's kind of part of our mantra in women's transformation mm-hmm. and leadership is that we go we are one one sister's victory it's all of our sister's victory mm-hmm. and we want to celebrate that and so that again is part of that um protestant you know protestant uh theology around you know not bragging not yep. wanting to gloat not wanting to you know and it also is an antidote to competition grace that's mm-hmm. another thing when you really want to live into this vision um, uh, for gifts and influence and leadership to all come together at the table, you've got to denounce competition. And that, again, mm-hmm. that's enemy activity, as I say. That's the hinderer hindering, creating a spirit of co- competition, spirit of confusion and a spirit of competition. Those are the two things that I think we have to watch out for the most. And again, how do you guard against it? Part of that is just naming it and claiming it. I see mm-hmm. you. I see you, spirit of competition, and you're not coming in on my watch. We're not going to mm-hmm. do it. That's where grace and diplomacy gets pushed to the edge. <laughs> <laughs> That's just kind of a little, a little snapshot of 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 how I think we've been able to lean into some of these practices and and mm-hmm. able to um, to move forward with hope. Yeah. And um, and so, wondering for you, what have you learned about navigating these? challenges. And just as we're finishing up, like, can you just kind of summarize uh, some of your leadership lessons? Yeah, there's been a lot of learning for sure. Um, I think funnily enough, some of the biggest things for me to learn have been about, you think leadership means that you're in control, but actually I I, I think I've had to learn how to accept that I'm not in control sometimes. Yes. There's sort of a you need to be able to trust and be vulnerable a little bit to be able to do this. Um, if, unless you want to lead only yourself and try to be a, a one person operation, um, you're going to need to be working with a, a lot of other people to do things. And that means in addition to that, you're also working around a lot of other people. So even if you think you have all the answers and I don't, um, you're going to need to be prepared if you're going to lead something to have it not go the way you think it's going to go to give other people the opportunity to take part of that leadership and to do, to do the things that they're gifted to do. And 
to change the plan if things are different than you think they're going to be, or if you're seeing new things that you didn't know about at the beginning. Um, I, there's a lot of just being prepared to be okay with one page at a time, you know? Mm-hmm. And like, as a person who likes to vision and to think about, well, where are we going? And what does that mean? I get excited about trying to map everything out, but I I've realized even if I like it, it might enjoy and benefit from doing some mapping out, the map is not going to be the same as the path that we follow. And that's okay. And for this to work well, I have to be willing to say, I'm not going to be the one drawing everything on that map and I shouldn't be. So I have to be okay with other people doing things differently than I would do them and be ready to learn from what their, their perspective is and what their gifting is, because, uh, you know, I don't, I don't have everything that needs to be here and I shouldn't have everything that needs to be here. So I think a lot of it has been for me being really ready to learn and open to giving up control, even if I'm in the position that I don't have to give up, give that up if I don't want to, maybe especially if I think I don't have to, I should. Um, In some spaces they call that power sharing. You know, Mm -hmm. there's, there's the giving up control, like as a spiritual discipline, and then there's also power sharing. And I think that also is kind of countercultural in our society today. So that's a really, that's a good word for people. Yeah. It's not my instinct. I'll be honest, something I have to work at, but I think when I've done that, I've never really regretted doing it. Even in the times it hasn't worked out. I think there, in, in those moments, I still think it was a good exercise to do it in a lot of cases because both when I, both when I've made the mistake and when it, and it just hasn't worked out because the team tried something that didn't work. You can always learn from things that don't go well. So I'd rather be generous in sharing, um, sharing, sharing power, um, and, and hope for the best and trust that we'll figure out what we need to figure out that for what really matters and the spirit will work yep. then, then try and and make it all about me, even though I would always love to believe that I have all the answers. <laughs> right. Well, I think too, you know, this, this whole, this whole thing is really pointing to the fact that we are co-laborers. We're called to be co-laborers mm-hmm. with each other and with God. Yes. And so the more that we can be, you know, leaning into that notion, the farther we'll go and we may mm-hmm. not go quickly, Right. If you yeah. want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. So I think for us to be able to live into that and move forward, that's why it's really important for us to uh, to continue to live into that shared power and the co-laboring and develop that muscle so of, right. of, uh, of 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 linking arms. Right, linking right. arms with the person next to us because it's like, oh, I got to take my arm and mm-hmm. I got to link with them now, and I got to keep in step. And also, I always say God spoon feeds us on a need to know basis when we're doing this kind of really culture shifting work or Mm -hmm. really living into a calling that could be super scary, that we have to just know that God is going to give us what we need in real time as we are being faithful to live into the call. Amen. Amen. Well, Grace, it was so great to have you here as we're ushering in Women's Mm -hmm. History Month, as we're celebrating the launch of the Mm -hmm. She is Called Women of the Bible Study Volume 2. And um, 
And just really having the chance to reflect together on these past eight years of ministry with women's transformation mm-hmm. and leadership and just the whole She Is Called movement. I really appreciate you taking the time today to come by yeah, and sharing you. your own She Is Called story. Of course. Um, so as we're closing, you just have to tell our listeners um, just a little bit about Faithward in terms of your listener, yeah. your readership, and just just mm-hmm. just as like the, this this my friends is the uh, this is the cherry on top of the icing on top <laughs> of the cake of um of what Grace has been up to as she's been mm-hmm. faithfully living into her calling with this Faithward Ministry uh, digital ministry platform. It's just been really exciting to see that grow. Basically, we started with it just being this little blog where we were having people write reflections on life and faith and church. And as it's grown, we've, you know, evolved into having things like podcasts and resources and Bible studies, all these courses and things that, that people can engage with. And, and, and it's also just grown a number of the people that are engaging with it. Um, we were really amazed a couple months ago, we actually surpassed having a million people um, who have engaged with faith. Work. Did you all hear that? She just said a million yeah. people. It's kind of hard to even process that um, number, but um, and that's in how many years? Uh, two or three, probably. It's yeah. it's just three uh, this month. Happy, happy anniversary. Thanks. Three years. That's amazing. A million mm-hmm. viewers. And actually, I think a large percentage of them were just in the last year. Um, yeah. So it's, it's just Building. an exponential growth that we've seen. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. And like we hear, we'll hear from people who um, kind of will sometimes share their stories with us of how how they've been supported. And honestly, it's one of the things that gives me hope now is knowing, okay, we don't have all the answers. People who are in my inbox saying, I'm struggling with faith. I don't know what to do. I wish I could tell them, I know exactly what to tell you. I don't, but I know that you're not alone. And I know that hopefully we can be a space where we can try and journey through these things together and um, that God will speak to people in new ways and, and help us to imagine a church and a faith that can be everything that the world needs it to be right now, um, by honoring what it's been and looking forward to what it should be. So So, beautiful, Grace. God bless you. And thank Mm -hmm. you for, for staying the course, because as we've, you know, just been wrestling with a little bit kind of between the lines here is when you're called to do something new, in a system that is, you know, an organization or a system that is historic, that's been around for a long time, it can be, it can be a little difficult to navigate that, right? You want to bring people mm-hmm. along, you want to help people, you know, kind of catch the vision for what you're doing, but it can be hard to, to, to have the system trust in, in what the vision is. And so, you know, God has equipped you very uniquely to be able to stay the course and again, be resilient to overcome just as we've been doing with, with, uh, with she is called. And, and it just, it, it is, God brings the increase to our faithful labors. Let's mm-hmm. just say that mm-hmm. to quote our beloved Reverend Dr. Jilverstake, yes. just say, uh, as, as, as scripture says mm-hmm. that God will bring the increase as we plant and water, God will bring the increase to our faithful labor and to just continue to do that in community and to build trust mm-hmm. and relationships and to know that, um, that God is with us and the spirit will lead the way. So there we have it, friends. That, yes. <laughs> that's the that's the um that's that's your tools and and tips mm-hmm. for for today's episode on how um on how to embrace hope and be resilient when you're being called to do a new thing. 
mm-hmm. and that God will make a way as as Isaiah 43 and 19 says, God will make a way in the desert and streams in the wilderness. So Grace, thanks so much again for coming by the podcast today. Thanks for this great um, engaging conversation, interactive conversation, and, mm-hmm. um, and all the best as FaithWord continues to grow and thrive. Thank you, Liz. Thanks so much for listening. I hope this episode has sparked insights and ideas for what lavish hope, resilience, and overcoming mean for you in your own life and calling, as well as the organizational systems you serve in. If you'd like to be in touch with Grace, she'd welcome that. You can email her at gruiter at rca.org. That's G-R-U-I-T-E-R at rca.org. And of course, you can connect with her through her many FaithWord articles at faithword.org. If you enjoyed this Lavish Hope podcast, please subscribe, leave a review, and reshare any place you're on social. You can also connect with me directly at ltesta at rca.org. This episode is brought to you by faithword.org, an online learning community where you'll find ideas for living out your faith, reflections on scripture and church, stories about how other Christians are following God's call, and resources to bring your own church or organization along for the ride. The Lavish Hope Podcast is produced by Anna Radcliffe with assistant production by Lorraine Parker. Sound design by Garrett Steyer and web support by Grace Reuter and Barb Ellis. Hosted by yours truly, Liz Testa. Until next time, may you find ways to cultivate lavish hope and build resilience each and every day. God bless you.